0: Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco and thanks for joining us at the Page One Podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their Writing journeys, how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. There are a lot of great past guests that we've had on, including authors, screenwriters, comic writers, video game writers. So please do check out the back catalogue because there's bound to be some names there that you're interested in. Regular listeners will at this point be expecting to hear from Tarek as well. But if you tuned in last week, you know he was moving house and he's still in the midst of that. So I think his microphone must still be buried under one of a hundred boxes. So he's not with me on this intro and outro part of the podcast but he is in the main part of the interview and hopefully he'll be back next week. But for this week we have a great guest in the form of Duncan Hamilton, a former sports journalist who has subsequently turned his hand to writing books, specifically sports non-fiction books which have won him a number of awards. His first non-fiction book, Provided You Don't Kiss Me, 20 Years with Brian Clough, won the William Hill Sports Book of the Year in 2007, and he's subsequently gone on to win that award another two times for uh, various sports books. He's also won various other awards. So he, he is uh, an expert in that field, and it was a really interesting chat with him, talking to him about how he got into journalism, how he decided to get into writing the longer form nonfiction, uh, and why he actually finds that easier. And then also speaking to him about fiction because his latest book, Injury Time, is actually a novel still set in the world of football, but it is fictional. So um, it's a really interesting chat and we cover all of that. And even at the end, because we recorded this podcast just before the Euro 2020 final uh, between my team, Italy, and Duncan's team, England. So we uh, even chat about, about that at the very end of the podcast. But we'll get straight into the interview now. After a quick advert for our writer's notebook And then I'll be back at the end of the podcast With a bit more chat And to let you know about next week's guest The blank page To some it's terrifying An obstacle to overcome But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity A blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures And characters in our head So how to overcome that fear? Well we all know the best advice for a writer is Write Seriously Get words on the page and more will follow
1: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read, or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning.
0: As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings.
1: Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one.
0: Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project. Divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions.
1: Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps.
0: We can't wait to read what you come up with.
1: And remember, every story starts with page one.
0: You started out in journalism and still do journalism. I mean, is it, it was writing something that you always wanted to do?
2: Yeah, I didn't think I could do, I didn't really think I could do anything else. Um, I never had any other job. I wouldn't do a paper round or anything like that. Although I used to go help my friend do a paper round, but I think I wanted to be a journalist as soon as I realised that you could get into football matches and, uh, and <laughs> matches free of uh, charge. a <laughs> oh, Fantastic job this must be. So when I was um, when I was thirteen, the school had a um, had a kind of office um uh, practice lesson, uh, which was typing, typing and shorthand and how to file and things like that. And, um, so I did that. And the kind of the consequence of that is that after, after kind of almost sort of 50 years on, I've got no kind of hander, hander writing whatsoever <laughs> because, because I've typed everything for so long, even notes to the milkman. So uh, there's nothing, there's kind of nothing I can write over too long, <laughs> which I can then read back. I mean, the only person who can read it is, um, is, uh, Mandy. <laughs> and, um, she often goes through my, I said, well, I think you mean this theater. Oh, of course I did. Yes. I'm <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, I just thought journalism sounded such a fantastic, such a fantastic life. And, um, I went to work for a news agency, first of all. I went on a week's kind of trial mm-hmm. when I was about 16. And it was a small news agency and it was equidistant between, uh, Trent Bridge uh, cricket ground and the city ground. And, I mean, literally, you could walk to either in about 30 seconds. Yeah. And um, I always remember coming home and my parents saying to me, um, you know, what did you think about it? Do you think that um, newspapers or journalism will be the thing that you want to do? I said, I don't want to do anything else. Okay, I was entranced, really, from day wow. one because it, it, because it involved no set working hours and you mm-hmm. have your freedom. And, as I said, I mean, you got this thing where, you know, I was talking to footballers, people who actually played. Mm-hmm. It was
0: and uh, I mean, I suppose this is sort of jumping yeah. forward, but the industry must have changed so much that that sort of opportunity that you had then does that still exist now for for people? I think
2: it is. I think it is opening up again because there was only a story. In fact, I am alerted a a a, a friend of mine to this. Um, there was a piece on the whole front page in the UK the press today this week about Reach taking on 70 new 72 new sports journalists. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of which is roughly about now, I think. And um, they're looking obviously for, for kind of football writers. I mean I I kind of told him because, because he writes about boxing mm-hmm. and not many people do, so I thought that he might be able to get himself in there. And so I think that is is he, kind of happening again because they're looking for people not, not kind of necessarily to come into the journalism background or people who might be uh, attracted to journalism but aren't in it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, with, uh, whereas with mine, I mean, you know, uh, I went on to the sixth form at school, but I was never there. I was always working. Mm-hmm. You know? um, my home was the little desk that I had in the, in the kind of back office of the news agency or um, during the summer, certainly in that period before the schools actually broke up, I was sitting in the press box at Trent uh, Red Bridge, so it was just lovely.
0: And and was it very much a sort of learn-on-the-job type job? Obviously, yeah, you'd done the shorthand, I mean, but yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was really sink or swim, and certainly mm-hmm. with news agencies, because if you couldn't do it, you know, they wouldn't keep you on, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was very lucky, because when I first went to... Um, the news agency, and Matthew Ingle, who then later became the editor of Wisdom, the Guardian and correspondent, um, has written several books, and he was, um, he actually bought out the kind of sports desk, and he was running it, and he stayed for a year, and he was a fantastic me in terms of learning how to write, and what to read, and all those kinds
1: of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you say that it was it was a great job because it was, you know, you could work your own hours, etc., there was the, all the freedom and the flexibility with that, but there must have been a lot a lot of deadlines. You know, the, the, the flip side of that is you have to make sure that you're on top of your deadlines and, and a lot of stuff coming last minute that you need to turn over quite quickly. Was that was that the kind of your experience of it? Was that quite stressful? Yeah, it
2: was. I mean, to be honest with you, one um certainly in the early days, um, when I was covering living forest and they were in the second division. Um what was it? sorry, the old kind of second yeah. division. Um we would get lots and lots of orders. So, you know, you would get 450 words from the Sunday Mercury in Birmingham, for example. You would get um, 300 words from the Sunday people, both in uh, London. And then you'd have to do a Manchester version if they were playing somebody um, from the north. Um, and you'd be turning out an awful lot of coffee, mm-hmm. um over a very quick period. I mean, the first one I always remember. I used to do the Sunday Express, and I used to try and do that right on the whistle. So I'd send them 400 the words right, right on the whistle.
0: Yes, yeah, I mean that—that just... that must be obviously sort of stressful at the time, but it, it's such a great skill to learn. I imagine that's did you in good stead as you moved into writing sort of non-fiction books and stuff as well.
2: Yeah, and I think it was to be honest with you. Well, when I, when I left. Writing journalism, I mean, I didn't do that much writing for about 10 years. I just went to meetings as a kind of newspaper manager. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but kind of being able to know what journalists can do and what they can't do and, and what what the deadline demands are um, yeah, that's, I mean, that was absolutely precious knowledge, really. And just, I think it's just like anything else that the more you do it, mm-hmm. the, the more you get used to used to sort of doing it
1: yeah and the the first book you did was was back in 1988 um about nottingham forest and I, I did wonder what was the kind of impetus in wanting to write a book was it something you'd always kind of wanted to write or was it just a natural progression of of what was expected
2: well it's funny actually because i um the last literary festival i did which was the last time i was in leeds was about march the first last year and somebody actually brought that book um <laughs> To be signed. Oh, nice. Gracious. You've, you know, you've, you've done well digging (laughs) this. And it was actually written, it was actually written in about two weeks. Um, Because um, at that particular time, there was a company which used to deal with, um, deal with newspapers and really, um, take their newspaper photographic archive and turn that into books that had some, that had some words with it. And, um, we did actually at the same time, the Notts County reporter, who was Dave McVeigh, did Knox County and the cricket reporter did, did Knox, um, cricket. Um, and I did Forest. And of course, the advantage from the publisher was that he got free publicity in the paper. And at that time, he was leaving the Leaving Post was selling an awful lot of copies,
3: but I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. And I always
2: wanted, I always wanted to write books eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never thought I would write non-fiction books. I was pretty dense and I didn't have this thought about, oh, I could write a non-fiction book. But I'll just see if I can write some fiction.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, which, would, which was just rubbish.
0: <laughs> so, so, I'll, well, that leads me on to my next question, which was obviously between that book and then provided you don't kiss me. Um, it, it, there was, there was nearly a, um, try to do my maths here, nearly a 20 year gap, um, in, in publication. What, what was it that, the um, sort of brought you back to that longer form of writing?
2: Well, uh, I can tell you, first of all, the kind of reason for the gap is that, you know, that um, firstly, my daughter was born. And yeah. <laughs> secondly, you know, then I decided um, I didn't want to go to London. I didn't want to go and work in London. I did all the subbing shifts that mm. you have to do to get offered a job on London. And at the very point I was, a, I, um, I was expected to be offered a job, I thought, I don't want to do this, I want to stay in Nottingham. But the only way that you made any real money in provincial journalism wasn't by writing, it was actually by going into management. So right. I went into management. And so I was, you know, I was kind of organizing and meeting and doing meetings and all those kinds of useless things, which frankly, you realize that, you know, 15 years of your life of life has gone mm. by in, in and them back. Um, and I wrote quite, when I did write, I normally wrote book reviews or I wrote about politics. And writing about politics was a total waste of time because nothing's changed <laughs> in the, in, the, in the, uh, that time. Uh, but provided you don't kiss me, just came about when we went off to. Um, uh, Mandy and I, um, I was in Yorkshire and I was the deputy editor of this the Yorkshire Post and um, we'd um, we'd um, kind of gone away for the weekend, and I was listening to the radio on uh, Radio Four one morning, and they were doing a piece about a play about Brian Clough, which was on at the theatre, uh, uh, which was on at the players. And I said to Manny, I said, well, we must go. I want to go and see it because I thought it was going to be about his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when we went and it wasn't about his life and I left and said, well, you know, even if it had been about his life, no one else would have, would have been able to kind of tell me things that, that I, that, that I would be know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, well, why don't you write about it? And so one morning, when she'd gone to, to Morrison's to do the shopping, I, I thought to myself, can I write the first page? Mm-hmm. And I wrote the first page, and then I left it there for two months. And I started, I, I can remember it vividly, I, I um, started writing it properly on September the 1st, and I finished writing the first draft, which is essentially what we got, on December the 1st. Wow. Nice.
0: <laughs> And, of course, it, it then went on to have great success. It won the William Hill Sports Book of the Year uh, Award, um, which you've won multiple times since then. But how how did that feel, uh, you know, for your first sort of non-fiction book to, to do that?
2: It was remarkable, really, because I think everybody thought that day that Bobby Charlton was going mm-hmm. to win. Um, and then, oddly enough, when we got to the ceremony, Bobby Charlton was the first person that we kind of met. Mm -hmm. And lots of people from the Yorkshire Post had um, given me things for him to sign. (laughs) So I went in with this big bundle, you know, and and, and he signed them all, you know, and he was the first person afterwards to kind of come over and shake hands. Um, And it was remarkable, really, um, because I had no idea whether the book was any good, Mm -hmm. because it it was my life. Um, And it got a little bit of coverage, um, but it didn't get an enormous amount of coverage, but then people started to mention it on radio and things like that. Um, and I always remember, I went in to see my editor, I went in to see my agent. And um, it, it, this was about six weeks before William Hill. It had been, it had been shortlisted by then. Mm-hmm. And just very casually, she said, everybody in publishing thinks you're going to win. And I thought, surely not. You know, not against Bobby yeah. Um And then John Inverdale, did a piece in the Telegraph when he had a column a week before the mm-hmm. actual event. And he said, it took two uh, minutes to decide this year's winner. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine said to me on the morning, he said, your book deserves more than two over a minute's reflection. I'm sure you've won. And um, it, he was <laughs> wow. right.
1: And, and you mentioned having an agent there. Was that? Did you have an agent, obviously, before the book launch, did you write the book and then find the agent, or did, was it kind of? Yeah, and automated? nobody
2: knew I was. No, nobody knew I was writing the book. Um, I just sat down and wrote it. I didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, only only knew that I was writing it, and I would write early before I went to work, and then and then when I came home at night, um, and um, I didn't know the agent before, and it was by pure chance. It's one of those things by um, pure chance. Mm-hmm. The um, editor of the book. Had met my agent four weeks before, he'd kind of just gone to fourth year's state. And he said to her, If you get anything laddish, would you let me have it? <laughs> any anything sporty, anything laddish? And she went away thinking, because she normally does, um, she normally does fiction, um women's fiction and things like that. And she said, Well, I'm not going to get anything, mm-hmm. anything remotely laddish. And then literally, of course, I sent her this and said, Look, this is this is what the book's about, etc. And she sent it off to him, and um, he he kind of read it over the weekend and bought it on the Monday. Wow! Wow! Brilliant!
0: That's that's what you want when you write something, definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and obviously, that book success clearly convinced you to 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 sort of go on a go on a tear of writing non fiction books because since then you've been pretty prolific. I mean. Um, is it just something that you, you found that you enjoyed doing writing in that longer form?
2: Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I said to the Daily Express this morning, I've just done a piece for the cricketer magazine, which is 2,400 words. That's a 1,500 words for the express. And I said to him, I find it easier to write 6,000 words mm-hmm. because I'm now conditioned to be yeah. able to hopefully pace it. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I suppose really that, um, I get bored very easily, you know, and, and I'll say I'll take a week off and then I don't take a week off. Uh, or I'll say, um, or I'll go on holiday and I'll start writing something mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I, I think the one thing was, um, I remember specifically with William Hill that um, it, it, it used to be run by John, uh, by John Gorsted, who, um, who ran the Sports Pages book, uh, uh, bookshop, which was just opposite foils. And um, I remember him saying to me, um, oh, you can now like anything you like. And I stopped myself from saying to him, well, actually, I'm a, I am already um, 30,000 words into doing a biography <laughs> of Harold Larwood, And I think better than provided you don't kiss me.
0: And so, so, how is it that you decide what, what subject you want to write? Is it just your own interest and you just want to explore something in a deeper way? It is in a way,
2: but I've always got to, I've always got to think to myself, um, and I can give you an example of this, I think. Um, every story has a beginning and an end, but only a choice few have a middle and have a middle that's kind of good. Mm -hmm. And I always think that the the best example of that if uh, someone asks me for one is actually Bill uh, Shankly. Bill Shankly had a great beginning and a fantastic, I mean, it was end that he decided to retire mm-hmm. uh, abruptly, and then obviously he died six or seven years later, and he always missed his job and regretted it. But there's this big slab in the middle, where from say 1965, after they win the cup. Nothing really happens until until they actually win the, the FA Cup again. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, yeah, he'd make a great subject for a book, but I'm not sure I can make it work.
0: Yeah. Uh, and do you, with these subjects, when you're thinking about them in that way, um, obviously your your own experiences um, and your knowledge of, the, of of the sports and stuff will will inform. A lot of what you're writing about, but do you spend a lot of time sort of researching reading other materials and stuff to to try and get right into the story?
2: Absolutely. I mean, to be honest with you, doing this doing this book about post war post war English football in the last three or four months, I must have gone through about 120 books, I think. Right. Okay. Plus, so many newspapers, you know, unbelievable amount of mm-hmm. newspapers. I mean, it makes it a lot easier now. When I was doing Harold Larwood, I spent an awful lot of time researching on on kind of um, you know the big kind of
0: microfiche. yeah. Uh,
2: whereas now, of course, how easy is it? You just sit there and you know the laptop on which I'm talking yeah. to you, or the yeah. the London Library, um, or the British Library, or um, you know, libraries around the world, and, yeah. and it's da da Yeah. Bring- it's a lot
1: easier, but then you don't look like a spy when you're doing it. I was <laughs> I miss that, you know, like spinning your at top speed.
2: I don't, know if, I don't know if either of you ever went to Commondale, um before they actually moved the newspaper yeah. library to the British Library. Yeah. Oh, goodness, it was one of the most depressing experiences. I've ever <laughs> I mean, the staff were very nice. Was always very pleasant and you got the things that you wanted and all those kinds of things. But, oh, it, I mean, it was like something else. I mean, when you expected Charles uh, Dickens to come in at any moment. So, I was pleased that I don't really have to go into British Library that much. I know at the moment, I mean, there are still some uh, newspapers. I think mean, there are about five or six newspapers I've got to go and actually have a look at on, on the on the kind of microfilm. But, you know, other than that, hmm. everything now can be done, done from this uh, table.
1: And, and what's your process for writing books compared to 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 writing you know your articles because obviously you're well used to getting editors' notes back to doing redrafting but it's is it pretty much the same process for you just on a bigger scale with books
2: well, it really depends on the it really depends on the book I did eric little um a few years ago and um and i wasn't quite sure if, i mean i didn't I, I wasn't sure whether I wanted. To do Eric Little, only because I didn't think there'd be anybody alive who would uh, who would have known very Little. As it turned out, I ended up talking to the 99-year-old man, uh, who was much older than I was, <laughs> who had actually been uh, uh, who had the bed right next door to Eric's,
0: wow.
2: and his wife, who also knew Eric. Uh, obviously, obviously um, Eric's daughters, um, and. Survivors of the prisoner of war camp that he was in 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 both um, um, well America, Canada, and here. I mean, there were loads of people about. But I knew that the the the, the kind of thing that I had to do because I couldn't see that I would have to start the book any other way. That I'd have to go to China and visit the camp.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I couldn't do that. You know, it's I mean it, I mean it was difficult enough to actually get into China then. Trying to get into mm-hmm. China now would be impossible. Um, but I had three. I had a three-month wait before I could go. So I actually wrote. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably get this wrong, but it will give you an idea. I think I wrote chapters four, five, six, and seven. Right. And I wrote chapters two, three, and four. Then I wrote the first chapter. Okay. So right. really, you know, I don't necessarily do things in a chronological order. don't necessarily level. do things in <laughs> the chronological order. Um, and sometimes I'll will write particular scenes if they're very much in my mind mm-hmm. so that they're there when I get to them and it also makes it feel as if you're actually working quicker than you are it's a psychological thing, I suppose
0: but have you have you got like a, 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 a an outline or a plan of what you you know the order the structure of what I, you're wanting to do yeah, beforehand? Absolutely. yeah
2: I mean I always work out what I'm doing because essentially what I'm what I'm trying to do is to is to work 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 my way. Up to what I think the centre of the book is, and then to and then to work uh, uh, away from that towards to, to towards the end. So it, it's the kind of three most important decisions you can make before you actually begin. What is what what is the beginning? Where do you see it ending? And what's the midpoint? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically.
1: And and now, of course, you've you've made the jump into fiction with your first novel, Injury Time. Um, so, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the book's about?
2: Um, the book's about a footballer who um, um, leaves his former club after in in rather acrimonious circumstances, and despite the fact that he's a bit of a club hero because he scored the winning goal in a, in a cup final for them, and he goes to manage overseas. And when the club are really in trouble, um, his kind of mentor is very ill and um, he's not been able to save, um, um, uh, prevent them from kind of dropping down the table. And when he takes over the job, um, he has literally 12 or 13 games left to save them and nobody thinks he will actually do it.
0: Mm And what was it that made you want to write uh, fiction? Make that move into fiction.
2: Um, well, I think what happened was that after provided, I did write about twenty five pages of a book, which is pretty much like injury time. Mm-hmm. But other other books tended to kind of get in the way, and I couldn't really, you know, I couldn't get any time to sit and work on it. Mm-hmm. And then in twenty eighteen, I did a book called um, Going to the Match, which is which was. Kind of uh, the title taken from the from the Lowry painting of the uh, fans going into Bolton. And um uh, the editor that I'd worked with on Harold Larwood and a book called At Last English Summer dropped me a line and said he thought it was a fabulous book. He really enjoyed it. But he said you really should write that novel now that you're kind of thinking about. And so I went back to it and um agreed to do it in agreed to do it in June or July 2019, but I had to finish a cricket book before and Neville Cardis, the the Mm. book about Neville Cardis had just come out or was just coming out. So I had bits and bobs to do with that. And then I had to finish off the the kind of cricket book. And so I I said to him, right, as soon as I've done this cricket book, I will, I will kind of write you the novel. And, um, and just by pure kind of, um, circumstance and serendipity that I was able to write the novel all the way through lockdown. I actually started it in the first week of March. Actually.
3: Right. Okay.
1: And I, I'm going to ask this question, it's probably a very ignorant question, but someone who's not a massive football watcher myself, um, you know, football is a massive sport, and is it, I never seem to see that many fiction books told. In that, in that area, and is that something which you're surprised at, or, you know, is there, because it seemed that like there'd be a massive market, that kind of thing, or, or, yeah, or is there a lot of books I'm just not aware of?
2: They, uh, I mean, there are a few. Most of them have been celebrity kind of things, where yeah. Jimmy Greaves, the old Spurs player, did a couple in the 1970s, because he wanted to try and follow, do you remember Dick uh, Francis, who used to do all the racing thrillers?
3: Yeah.
2: Incredibly popular books. Um, And he wanted to have a go at doing that, and so and and Derek Dugan, the old Wolves and and um, Northern Ireland centre forward, did 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 the same. Brian Glanville, the Sunday Times writer, has written a couple of fiction books, but I think it's very difficult to kind of kind of get inside football if 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 you haven't worked covering it or or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And and similarly, you you've kind of always got that problem with. Uh, football is that, or with a lot of football novels that they don't use real teams. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Um, so they're playing, you know, Butterworth City or something. <laughs> <laughs> it quite working out, you know. So I thought to myself, well, I'll, 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 I'll pinch this from B.S. Johnson. I don't know if you've read B.S. Johnson's The Unnearer Fortunates, no. which is a fantastic novel. It's called his book in a box because it comes in a box, and the chapters aren't actually bound. Sorry, each chapter is bound, but apart from, uh, apart from the first chapter and the last, you can read the Middle in Right. Oh, uh, that's
1: quite cool. interesting, yeah.
2: Uh, it's a fascinating book. Um, and Johnson had been a, um, a sports reporter for The Observer, and he got the idea when going to Nottingham to cover Nottingham Forest against Manchester United in 66 or 67, uh, but he didn't mention the fact it was Nottingham. He just described the city. Mm. Um, and so I did that. With I mean, obviously the, the setting is kind of Nottingham. Obviously the club is Nottingham Forest. But, and, uh, but of course all the people in it are fictional apart from those who are real, who are named. Mm-hmm. So that Nottingham Forest, uh, that kind of team which I've in, invented comes up against uh, Manchester United team, which includes Cantona and Giggs and Schmeichel Um, and, um, they go to Aston Villa and Gareth Southgate is obviously playing for Aston Villa at that time. And, um, and, and so, and, and there's, and my character has a long conversation with George at best, which I, which at least as I've done a biography of George, I felt qualified to, yeah. to, to kind of know what he would say. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons, and I just thought that thought that the only way around it was to uh, was to give walk-on parts to real people.
0: It's it's a funny thing, uh, you know, the sort of portrayal as football in fiction, also in films. I've always thought, you know, there are so many great sports movies, and there's no and and football as a sport has its own great narrative. Uh, you know, just look at the tournament at the moment and characters and every you know pressure stress everything that that all these other sports have but they can't ever seem to get football right on the screen either i do you know Le whether it's the way they film lasso. it yeah well yeah exactly um the the way they film it or something it just doesn't come across it's something that i've always wondered why why can't they make this work because it is you know the biggest sport in the world, I think. So
2: yeah, it is. I mean, it's peculiar, really. In fact, I was having a I was having this conversation last week with um, with my boxing friend, and I said, um, you know, with, uh, with boxing, it's absolutely easy because <laughs> you don't have to explain it. You yeah. don't, you know, just two men fighting, and and one of them might fall over <laughs> or, get or something. Whereas with football, it is completely different, and you've got to try and choreograph twenty two twenty two men on a pitch. Yeah. I mean, when you look at The Damned United, um, I loved the book. Mm-hmm. I really loved the book, and I spent a great night out with David Peace um, when we were going around Leeds, um, and I just didn't get the film at all. With, with, the exception, with one exception, Timothy Spall playing Peter Taylor, despite the fact he, 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 he and it looked nothing like Peter Taylor. Yeah. It was the wrong shape for Peter Taylor, but there was something he got out of that character That was Peter Taylor. Um, Mm. But as for the rest of the film, I mean, it it, it was a bit kind of, you know, Max Sennett silent films from the 1920s, really, for me. Is is it
1: the same across the pond, though? You know, with American football, is that, because that's another team based sport, you know, but but that seemed to be a lot more obvious cinematic examples everyone can think of. I think quite the same over here.
2: I think it's the same with baseball and American football, is that they're much easier to film because there are moments when you're absolutely yeah. Um They've been trying to make a film of my Harold Larwood book now for about 10 years. And um, when, I was, when I was doing the research for it, I spoke to David Putnam about um, his work on Chariot Sophia because he had planned to make a Bodyline film afterwards, but he was in a difficult position where he couldn't have a kind of LBW decision because nobody in the US knew knew what it was or actually understood (laughs) LBW. So you'd have to take that dismissal out. You take that dismissal out, well, it it doesn't quite work. Yeah, Uh Um, And that's the thing. I mean, cricket is also very difficult to kind of do.
0: Mm -hmm. I I just wonder if someone else, I'll crack it one day, but I don't know. At the moment, I think that the most, with actually, you mentioned Ted Lasso, Tarek, that the the, the actual football scenes look, they're so obsessed with being on the pitch with the players and it's almost like something out of FIFA and, uh, you know, it would be a lot better if they just put it like you would see it on TV and everything. It would look more realistic for a start, I think because you don't actually see those angles in a real football game, so it doesn't yeah. feel real immediately but um so uh, going forward are, are you are you wanting to write more fiction or you said you're obviously working on a non fiction just now but
2: yeah um retirement's looking like an option because' <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you start i mean I go through this phase every time so I know it's going to pass, but you just get to the point I always remember when i had um when I was doing George best and um, I mean George's George's life was George's life mm-hmm. but I remember looking I've got I'd got printouts and newspaper cuttings and they were about as high as a door and I was thinking to myself how am I ever going to boil this down to it? you know I'll never do it and I'm at that point at the moment mm-hmm. and then yesterday I was looking through some stuff from uh, the early 60s I thought yeah do it this way that way so it comes very I mean you know you kind of you kind of get over get over the high mountain, and you get to see the distant scene. Hopefully, it's
1: And how was it writing fiction compared to non fiction Is it was it easier, or, did it, or it was it not okay? oh really? Okay,
2: that's I mean, it was correct because I didn't have to go and talk to anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I didn't have yeah. to go and talk. I mean, what I've used, but, you know, there's there's a thing, isn't there, where they say um um all these characters are real except for those that aren't. or something. Mm-hmm. And, and so there are loads of little kind of football stories that I've heard, that I've tweaked and I've used. And I found that I only had to write for about three hours a day. Mm-hmm. And whereas with non-fiction, you're looking at it and you might get to a line and you think, oh, hang on a second, and need to know mm-hmm. when so-and-so happened. And then oh, I probably need a little bit more of this I'll have to go and research it yeah. you go and research it and you come back and so if you get through seven hundred words a day you I mean you're kind of lucky really
0: and does is the is the sort of redrafting and editing process different as a result of that as well
2: no it's it, it's it's the same arduous task that you that you print everything out and you and you hope that it might, um, that it might look better when you see it on the printed page. <laughs> and you go through it and think, Oh my goodness. How did I manage to write this sentence? It <laughs> it's just, that, honestly, you, you do always feel that. And then the worst stage of all, and, it, and, and this never changes either. The, um, the kind of, kind of proofs come and you have to go through them. And you've read this book 64 times and the proofs there. and, they're all in nice kind of typeface, and it's it's like having somebody turn up your door with a shotgun, gun, really, because you have, you're very reluctant they go through. Yeah, and, you know, you think, oh no, I've got to change
1: <laughs> the And uh, am I right in saying that the book comes out today? It is well, it's, it's at the time recorded. Day, yes. And uh, how has it been doing a launch? You know, during the pandemic, and uh, I know it's a bit better now. Bookshops are open now, at least, but still not quite the same same scale.
2: Well, you, I mean, usually what I do is I'm going down to London or going into Leeds and doing, doing interviews down the line mm-hmm. on radio. But, of course, at least this time, I don't even have to do that. I can just do it from here, <laughs> um, which, is, which is actually much better for me.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: I mean, uh, because you always find It's the same with doing book festivals. I've done a lot of book festivals, but I think, they, you know, every time I do a, a book festival, unless it's very local, um, I've got to kind of, you know, I've got to go overnight and you suddenly lose two yeah. days work. Mm-hmm. You know? Whereas with this kind of system, it's just, you know, you can say, oh, I know, I'll just have lunch. I'll do this 10 minute radio program I've got to do. Um, then I'll go and have a nap or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's wonderful.
1: And there's something nice about, you know, the book festivals this year and stuff, they were all online. You know, there was no worrying about trying to get a, a seat you could watch as many as you wanted mm-hmm. um and and so i think the point of view of the audience it was it was wonderful because you could just see so much more stuff and as you say you could just you could be at home until five minutes before it starts and flick it on and watch it as you're having your dinner you know it was just it was it was mm. that part was going. obviously you're not meeting people in, in in the flesh and that's part of the appeal of face was actually meeting people that you like the writing of but mm. um there's definitely there's plus plus and minuses to everything i suppose isn't there
2: yeah, I was due to do the Oxford Literary Festival last year, and I remember saying to my publisher in early March, I said, well, there's no way that this is going to go ahead. Mm-hmm. They were, what? What do you mean? No, oh, that's it. We'll be locked down by then. <laughs> of course, it was, I mean, Oxford's one of those places I love going to because I just love the city, but, but, um, but you just kind of, I've kind of missed that bit. I mean, yeah. yeah. And it's sometimes really just, just kind of very nice to meet kind of readers. I mean, I've had a lot of letters over lockdown from from readers. That's good. Um, You know, they've either been sent on by the publisher, or in the last cricket book I did, I mentioned the village where I lived, and they they just wrote my name, (laughs) my profession, and the name of the village and the post office. Because I buy so many books, I'm kind of quite well known. Yeah, I'm I'm quite well known at the local post office, so (laughs) so they all know where to find me.
0: the last book that you read
2: the, the last book i read yeah yeah i finished it yesterday actually it's yumpa lahari's um in their, um, in their, um, other words which is basically about how she um how she decided to write in italian rather than english and went to rome and um lived in rome in the early part of the last decade 2012 i think and um and it was odd because I'd, I'd, I'd just read her novel, Whereabouts, about, you know, sort of two weeks, mm-hmm. two or three weeks earlier. And, um, I just found, I mean, she was learning Italian from scratch and then writing it and then producing <laughs> so I'm just Awe inspiring, really. Oh, yeah. I haven't done good English yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, uh, what about the last film that you watched?
2: Oh, actually, uh, yeah, it was the last week, actually. It was um Stalin's Terror. Oh, right. is It's about another uh, she's a writer and a university lecturer. And it's um Emily Watson. Alright, okay. And um it's set in the nineteen set in the nineteen thirties and forties and she goes and um, um well she's kind of cancelled by the um uh, by the Soviet Union, and she spends the next 10 years in a prison at war camp. Uh, and it's a true story.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, what was the last TV show that you watched or are watching?
2: Oh, I watch everything. I mean, one of my great ambitions, which will never now go, will never now be fulfilled, was to be a TV critic.
3: All right, okay. So nice, yeah.
2: So, you know, because I thought, well, oh, what's even... I remember once um, being at home and watching one of those school's programs where they used to do they kind of day in the life of to, to, and um the TV critic, I think of the evening standard then, it was I think it was um, Jackie Stevens. And she was just, you know, she got up in the morning and she had a cup of tea and she <laughs> and um then the um then there was a knock at a door and somebody now this will kind of tell you how old it is, you know, handed her a big envelope and inside was some kind of video tapes, <laughs> which you could then go and sit and watch. The job that is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> now. Um,
2: so, yeah, I mean, I do watch everything. Um, I mean, what are we watching at the moment? Um, let me see. Uh, we're on the last series of uh, Ozark. Oh, right, nice. Um,
1: yeah. Big fan of um, that. Very much looking forward to the last season whenever it comes but on. But
2: obviously, but obviously, what I'm also, um, and I'm, I mean, frankly, I would just watch one after the other. I'm watching Ken Burns documentary on Ernest anyway. Oh, gotcha. excellent. It's absolutely fantastic What's so, that one? It's on BBC Four Ah, Excellent to watch that.
1: And uh, the very very last thing we always do Is a quick fire either or So I always say there's no right answer Apart from one <laughs> uh, And we'll, we'll start off with football or cricket Both <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Brian Clough, Pep Guardiola.
2: Brian Clough TV are more stories Yeah <laughs>
1: TV or a cinema?
2: Oh, TV. Um, I, I have this thing that whenever I go to a cinema, I always sit either behind or in front of the man on the mobile phone. <laughs> <or> the <TV. laughs> no, I'm
1: just it just up now.
0: Uh, a night owl or early bird?
1: Early bird. Fancy restaurant or a takeaway?
0: Takeaway. Um, a real book or an e-book?
1: Real book.
3: As you can see yeah, yeah, as
0: you can see from there. Yeah, you can't see this, but yeah, he's got very, very stacked bookshelves behind him.
1: So. I'm Duncan, that was the uh, wrong answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Great having you, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'll add the cheeky one, Italy or England?
2: Oh, England. I, I
0: hope you're wrong on that one. I hard, so.
2: your, yeah, well, to be honest with you, I think we've got, you know, we've got something that it's, um, Italy don't have, which is actually with
0: uh, it'd, be, it'd be a good game anyway. I'm sure.
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, it'll be very nervous. I think. Um, and of course, if East um, England win, then nobody will be going to work on Monday. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> well, thanks very much to Duncan for coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed that chat, and I'm sorry that uh, you were wrong about the outcome of the LA England match. Well, sorry, not sorry, I guess. No, but seriously, thanks very much for coming on to the podcast, Duncan. And as we said uh, during the podcast and at the start of the episode, his latest book is uh, the novel Injury Time and that is out now. So you can go and pick that up and we'll put links to his books so that you can buy them online if that's how you want to buy it. Now, this is the point where I would normally tell you about next week's guest, but We actually have a couple of potential guests for next week's episode. So I'm going to leave it as a mystery at this stage. But I can assure you that each of the guests are great and they'll both be on the podcast. It's just that we're not sure which episode we're going to release next week. So um, I can promise you it will be an interesting episode. So please do tune in for it. Um, Before we go, if you enjoyed the episode... If you could take time to give us a quick review and rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use, that would be amazing. If you, if you, Also, if you enjoyed it, please do subscribe to the podcast so that you can always find out when we've got a new episode out. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us about anything, let us know your thoughts or suggest potential guests or potential questions, uh, then you can drop us a tweet at write underscore gear on Twitter or send us an email to podcast at writegear.co.uk. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode.